Well, good morning. So glad that you're here this morning, whether you're here in person or watching online. I want to say thank you uh, for joining us here at High Point. It is an honor and a blessing to be able to worship with you guys every single Sunday. Um, a couple of quick announcements. <clears throat> uh, if you weren't here last week or didn't have a chance to pick up an envelope, um, our 2021 giving initiative is uh, we have envelopes out in the, in the foyer. Uh, they'll be out there after service. Our giving initiative for the uh, 90-day tithing challenge or the kingdom builders or the parking lot initiative. Um, those will be out there after service as well as your 2020 giving statements. If you did not receive them by email, uh, we have that printed out for you. Or if you specifically requested one by email, or if you specifically requested one to be printed, we have those out there, and they'll be after, out there after service as well. Um, if you don't know who I am, I am so honored to meet you. My name is Pastor Anthony. Um, I have been here since June of 2019, right? Right? Man, it is... Uh, I can't believe that this June will be two years, and June's going to be here before we know it. Um, really honored and excited to be speaking with you guys today. Um, uh, let me see. We, I, I've spoken once before, and that was in the first few months of being a, a youth pastor here at High Point. Um, I've since been scheduled three total other times, and I shared this with the first service. The first time... I was so excited. I, I had a sermon prepared. Um, I had illustrations. I had everything ready to go. And then we got the news of 15 days to slow the spread last February, the beginning of March. And then I was scheduled to speak in October, and I was once again so excited. Uh, it was going to be on the 25th, the day before my birthday, and a week before, uh, on a Wednesday, I found out that Auntie Rona came to visit me in my house. Um, so I couldn't be here, but I'm here today, and I'm so excited to bring the word of the Lord to you guys in this place. Um, I'm excited to, to be speaking in front of you and honored. Um, I just have to quickly say I, I am blessed to serve at this place of worship, to serve under an amazing pastor, Pastor David, to serve um, this amazing board, to serve alongside uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Erica um, this is a great place. If you're looking for a home, this is a great place. Um, I have felt nothing but like family since I moved here, and that is just a testament to not only Red Bluff, but to this place, and I am so grateful. Thank you. Um, today I'm going to be talking about building something new. Building something new. Pastor David is in a series called A New Thing. And I'm not necessarily doing the next portion, but I am going to be sharing what I believe God has put on my heart um, for, this, for this church and this season is that God wants to build something new. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. It's our key verse for the year. It says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That key word that I want to point out is, 
I am making a way. Jesus is making a way. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that today in this house, uh, in this place of worship, Father, that you would just speak to us today. Lord, that you would, you would speak through me, that they would fall on ears and hearts that are open and ready to receive. Lord, for those watching home online, um, God, I pray that you're with them in their place of worship, in their living room, in their bedroom, in their car, wherever they may be, Lord. I pray that today would be a great day as we dive into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there was a father, and he was busy with a project at home. And he was so busy, he decided to send his teenager to Home Depot. It's kind of dangerous. Sent his teenage son to Home Depot. When he got there, the son found the closest associate and said, uh, Hey, I need um, some, uh, what do you call them, uh, four by twos? And the associate laughed and said, well, I think you mean two by fours, but that's okay. So he walked the teenager back to the lumber section and said, so um, how long are you going to need these? And the teenager looked at him and said, well, forever. We're building a deck. <laughs> you know you're getting older when Home Depot was what you had to go through to get to Toys R Us afterwards. The promise of visiting Toys R Us to wake up early and go with your dad because he had to watch you uh, while mom was at work. <laughs> I promise, son, we're going to go to Toys R Us afterwards. Now, Toys R Us is closed, and in order to go to Home Depot, you have to convince your wife of all the awesome projects you can do with the new tools. Isn't it funny how time changes things? how things become different. I want to share a little bit about myself for those of you who don't know me, but before I get into that, I want to, I want to share with you some observations that I have noticed growing up. I've been about 10 years out of high school, which is really like scary and disturbing to say, um, but I have noticed some things on my journey into becoming a, a minister and growing up in a minister's household. So these are things that I have noticed about uh, this generation as a youth pastor, Gen Z, and also the world as a whole. Today, it is cool to be a nerd. Nerd culture is the new fad. No matter who you are, whether you are a teenager or whether you're, you know, the international pop star, everybody loves nerd culture. Now, I wasn't around in the 70s and 80s, but from what I've heard, you got made fun of if you were a diehard Star Trek fan. Today, we can't wait for the next Mandalorian episode to come out, and Star Wars, and the next Marvel movie, and the next DC movie. We are all nerds, and I love it. Everybody has a place. In my generation, the millennials, we experienced something that I never really liked, but it happened. Everybody got a trophy for participating. In Generation Z, the things that I've seen and the mentality they have, they would rather just skip the whole trophy thing and use that money to go support a local business. They're different. They're built different. When I was a kid, it was put away your video games and go play outside. 
go outside. Just go outside. Ride your bike to the park. Go outside. Now it's, hey, it's, it's a little bit dangerous outside. Crime is up. So why don't you just stay home? You can play video games. In 2019, Kyle Giersdorf, he was 16 years old at the time, won $3 million in the Fortnite World Cup. Now, Fortnite is a, is a video game and not a, a measurement of time. Fortnite World Cup. He won $3 million in the first ever world championship. Just for comparison, this teenager, 16 years old, in comparison, that same exact year, Tiger Woods won his fifth Masters tournament. And he made just over $2 million. That's insane. 16-year-old making that much money. And all the parents are going to go tell their kids to stay inside and play video games just a little bit more, right? No, I'm just kidding. Make that college money. Speaking of college, according to Yahoo Finance, the price of a four-year institution has risen 3,009% in the last 50 years. I experienced a little bit of anxiety when choosing a college, and that anxiety has just increased exponentially for these teens. Now you might say, well, what about the price of inflation, the, the, the adjustment for inflation? Well, if that was the case, adjusted for inflation, it would be $2,323 versus 10000 today. That works out to an increase of 340% increase for going to a four-year university today versus going to a four-year university in 1969. That is insane. And we ask these teenagers to make a four-year decision that's going to affect them for the rest of their life when their brain's not even fully developed yet. Talk about anxiety. I experienced this as a high schooler, but my sister, who is now a freshman in college, I had never seen somebody care so much about their grades, but not because she wanted to be a good student, but because she was anxious that anything less than an A was going to determine her future. This is the world that we live in now. It's the world that these teenagers live in now. Here's some positive things, though. Gen Z is the most creative generation, I believe. They're one of the most creative generations. Yes, the generation before me invented the iPhone, and I grew up with it. I graduated with technology from the Nokia brick to the first iPhone. Now these kids are taking this technology and doing amazing things with it. For example, Ryan Kaji, the highest paid YouTuber, made $30 million in 2020. Would you believe he's nine years old? He reviews toys, and kids watch hours and hours of YouTube to see him review something new. Now, this is the first time I have ever seen that youth and this generation are driving the marketplace and consumerism. Whereas when I was a kid, everything seemed to kind of be, yeah, yeah it was like, hey, here's the new toy, but it was more marketed towards the parents. It was, everything was marketed towards the older generation. 
If you get this, it'll help you with this. Now it is, here, teenager, look at what you need. Teenagers are driving consumerism in the United States. If you don't believe me, ask why Champion went from Walmart to H&M. Why is Champion now a super expensive brand? I'll tell you why. Teenagers decided it was cool. Again. It used to be that celebrities and hip-hop artists would, would determine the, the new trend in fashion. I remember being in, in middle school, in elementary, and all my friends were walking around with band-aids under their eye because of the rapper Nelly. Why? I still don't know why we wore band-aids under our eyes. It was cool. Now, these artists and celebrities want to imitate the younger generation so that they'll listen to their music, so that they'll consume their content. Gen Z today doesn't really care about brands, they care about the aesthetic. Does it look right? Does it match my vibe? Does it pass the vibe check? If you don't know what a vibe check is, just ask your kids if you pass, they'll tell you. In a world of chaos and decay, I have seen this generation of students stand up for love and justice. When much of the world, and again, the world at large, not in this, not in this building, parents are, are dazed and confused, arguing online, and kids are just standing up for what they believe in. Lastly, this thing that I have noticed the most and that why I have felt a call to ministry so strong is that this is the first generation in modern history that is two generations disconnected from the church. What does that mean? That means their only knowledge of Jesus was that guy that grandma or great-grandma used to pray to. Again, not in this building. Our parents are awesome. But in the world at large, you don't go to church just because anymore. It's not a part of the family unit. And there's pros and cons to this. The pros being that they, these students, Generation Z, is a blank slate. They have no prior knowledge of all the hurt and some trauma that perhaps their parents or, or grandparents went through in the church. Because how many of you know churches are not perfect? But on the bad side, they don't know the history and the beauty of the church, and more importantly, they don't know about having a relationship with the creator of the universe. And so this is what drove me, and why I'm explaining all this to you is so that you hear my heart for this message today. This is what drove me to become a youth pastor, to pursue a call in ministry, because these students matter. These students are the future church. And I will be remiss if I let the baton drop to the floor. I am going to do everything in my power to make sure that at least in this place, at least in Red Bluff, that students are going to hear the word of the Lord. I love teenagers. I love teenagers. I felt a call to a ministry at a young age. I was at a Royal Ranger camp. It was the last night of camp. And a pastor by the name of Roger Ovalle spoke. And I was like, 
I know that I know that I know that I'm going to be in ministry. I grew up in a, in, a, in a pastor's home. My father was a senior pastor all my life. For the first 10 years of my life, he was a district youth director. So you could say youth ministry is in my blood, but I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to. I wanted to go, I wanted to get out of California, wanted to make a lot of money so I could do a lot of things and bless a lot of people. So what did I do? I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, attended Oral Roberts University, started out as an engineer, ended up with a mathematics degree, and then became a youth pastor. Isn't God funny? It was in my time in Oklahoma where I fell in love with youth ministry. I began to see all these things that I listed for you guys, and my heart began to break for the next generation. And I felt so strongly, and I remember specifically in 2017 at a church conference, it was an Assemblies of God church conference in, 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 in near Dallas, Texas, and I, I heard the Lord say that I am called to be an advocate for the next generation. Now, I'm not sharing this with you guys or like, you know, that I can boast and, and be prideful in front of you. No, that's not where I'm sharing. I want you to hear my heart. I am called to be an advocate for the next generation, to, and, and I, I, I feel that I personally am called to be a bridge between the youth of today and the church. Because as I just stated, we are not far away from being completely disconnected from the future if we do not impact the lives of students. So my job is to, to look at Generation Z, to look at the youth and say, hey, look how awesome this bride of Christ is. Look how awesome the church is. We need this to live. And on the other hand, I feel that part of my job is to look at the church as a whole and say, hey, look at Gen Z. They're awesome. They're creative. They're innovators. They're doing amazing things. If the church could just get a hold of some of that, they could change the world literally today. Not when they're 40 years old, they can change the world today. If a nine-year-old can make $30 million on YouTube, imagine how much a 16-year-old can raise for missions. Imagine if the world, if the church got a hold of the power of Generation Z. And this is why I feel called to be a youth pastor. This is why I feel called. So why am I sharing all of this? Not to talk about myself. One, to talk about this, these youth. These youth are amazing. The youth of this church are amazing. And I just have to say, as a cheap plug, we meet every Sunday night and Tuesday night at 6.30. And if you're a student or you're a parent of a student, they need to be here. You need to be here. Because we have a good thing going. So why am I sharing this with you guys? Because I have felt for the past several months that God is up to something different. And then what do you know? Pastor David looks at us as a staff and says, hey, our theme for the new year is a new thing. And he shared this verse in Isaiah, in Isaiah 43, that says, again, forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So as a youth minister, if you're a parent in this place, you know how crazy 2020 was for teenagers and middle schoolers. 
It was crazy. And we're still dealing with things. And I have so much respect for you parents. You guys are amazing. Having to deal with jobs, having to deal with childcare, having to deal with being the home chef, the home nurse, all of that stuff, and now your kids have to be at home 24-7? Send them to youth. But I have the utmost respect for you as parents, and I do not envy your job. But I have felt so strongly that in youth, in our youth group, that God is calling us to something new and something different. And that heart is what brought forth this message today, that God wants to build something new. Now, there's moments in our lives where we're called to tear down things. We're called to tear down walls. We're called to tear down idols. We're called to tear things down before the Lord. And then there are other times in our life where we're called to rebuild things, to rebuild the altar before the Lord, to rebuild the temple, right? There's times that we see in the Bible where God called his people to rebuild. And then there's times like these that I believe that we're called to build something new. We're called to build something new. So what do we do when life is crazy? When it feels like we're just slamming our head up against a brick wall over and over, going insane because everything we're doing is not working. Maybe it's time to build something a little bit different. Maybe it's time to forget the way that things used to be done or the way that your parents raised you or the way that your boss was. Maybe it's time to do things a little bit differently this year spiritually and physically. So I'm going to give you guys three things that I believe we absolutely need in order to build something new. The first thing that we need are blueprints. Now, before I jump into these three points, I want to let you know that this is not some like profound like download from revelation from the Holy Spirit. This is what I like to call a duh message. Not a dumb message, a duh message. Because these are all things that we know. And if you've grown up in church or been around church at all, there's things that like, okay, yeah, youth pastor, I know that. I'm glad you know that. But my job today is to remind you. And in the context of 2021, to remind you. So the first thing that we need are blueprints. What do you do when God calls you to build something new, but you have no idea what that is? When God stirs something in your spirit or gives you a hint or gives you a revelation and you're like, okay, now what? What do I do with it? I like to think of Peter when Jesus looked at him and said, upon this rock I will build my church. And if I were Peter, I would have been looking at Jesus like, yeah, 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 what? What does that mean? On top of that, you're about to leave? What? I could not imagine being him and figuring out what that meant. What does building a church mean? Like, yeah, we had the synagogue. Yeah, we had the temple. But what is a church? 
So what do you do when God calls you to build something new and you're a se- in a season of life where you are feeling like something needs to change, something needs to be different, and it's not necessarily rebuilding because you're already built up. It's not necessarily tearing stuff down, but it is building something new, building something different. I don't know what the blueprint of your life might look like, so I'm going to give us some general biblical information that I know for a fact is what we need. So here is what we do know as far as it comes to blueprints in our life. Christ is our foundation for all things. Let's say that again. Christ is our foundation for all things. Again, you might be sitting here and saying, Okay, pastor, tell me something new. You're talking about a new thing. You're going to tell me all things I already know. Christ is a foundation for all things. It is impossible to build something new or something lasting if Christ is not involved. John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. What does that mean? That means everything in the world, the foundations of the earth, were spoken through the word, which is Jesus. So if we're talking about foundation, let's go back to the beginning. Jesus was there in the beginning. And when the first blueprint was formed, Jesus was there. Jesus is the foundation for all things. And it says here that nothing was made without him. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, A precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Jesus is the tested, precious cornerstone of our firm foundation. Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The rain came down, the streams rose, 2020 happened... We had to look for jobs. We had to figure out stimulus. Some of us still haven't got it. We had to figure out all these things. And 2020, I believe, we prayed and asked God to give us 2020 vision, which is real dangerous. And I believe that's what God did. He exposed some foundations of things. I believe he exposed the foundation of our country. I believe he exposed many foundations of many churches across the U.S., And the true things that were were built came forth. True colors were shown. A lot of good happened in 2020, though. 
For example, here in this house, we have grown. Now you might look around and say, well, Pastor Anthony, it doesn't look like it. But let me tell you, we went from absolutely no form of online streaming to now streaming two services every Sunday with an average of over 50 people every Sunday. That is amazing. Our worship team has grown leaps and bounds and now we have guys who were in youth a year ago leading worship. It's amazing. We have youth that have graduated from youth to young adults and now are attending faithfully and serving. That is amazing. This church has gone through a lot, but has grown a lot. One of the things that has absolutely blown my mind is that in 2020, this church outgave itself versus 2019. That, that just blows my mind. In a year where probably most people were worried about their income, this house chose to put God first. And that is a testament to this body and how amazing you guys are. But for some of us, Jesus may not be the foundation of all things in our life. Secondly, if he is not involved, if Jesus is not involved, our plans will fail. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. If the Lord is not building, if the Lord is not your head foreman, your building is not going to last. Matthew, I'm sorry, referring to Matthew, Luke's interpretation of Jesus' words, I wanted to read from Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. And Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. If the Lord is not at the center of your plans, those plans will fail. I really love Luke's, Luke's interpretation of this story of Jesus because Jesus says here, Why do you say, Lord, Lord, my house is flooding. My house is sinking. I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like, I, I feel like I'm going insane, repeating the same things over and over with no change. And God simply says, well, there's two ways you can build your house. One is on the rock, which is Jesus. The other is on the sand. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, 
And this is Peter referring to that verse in Isaiah we just read. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for you who believe, but those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of, humble, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So I don't know what plans the Lord has for you, but I do know that if you are struggling to find an answer of what to do, we have the blueprint, which is God's word. We need Jesus in the midst. The second thing that we as believers need in order to build, and this seems really obvious, but it's easier said than done, is help. We need help. I believe that it is a lie from the pit of hell to say that you can do something all by yourself. It is one of the best tactics of the enemy to draw you away from others and isolate yourself because he knows that there's strength in numbers. We need help. And it is not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It is not. As a matter of fact, Jesus can show up in that weakness and make you strong. And he is most glorified when we are weakest. Billy Graham said this, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement and I have to go to God in prayer and with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. The first thing we need help from is God. It is okay to ask your heavenly father for help. Much like we need Jesus in our midst, we are also to ask God for help. So what do we do? Well, James 1.5. Probably heard this verse a thousand times. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If you need anything, if you need wisdom on how to build or what to do or how to, to execute God's will, all you have to do is ask. I recently read the message version of this verse, and I loved it because it said, here where it says, without reproach, it said, God's not going to make fun of you for asking. God's not going to scold you and be like, oh, yeah, you should have had all that wisdom in the first place. That's not our God. Our God will give generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. Second Timothy Excuse me, Timothy. Second Timothy three, chapter, chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen. You go home and say, Pastor Anthony said Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. If you need help from God, God given you one of his greatest tools, and that is his word. And we see here that his word is good for everything. Why? So that you may be competent and equipped for every good work. 
I don't know about you, but if God has called me to build something, I want to ask him and I'm going to go to his blueprint and look for every single answer that I need. The second thing we need help with is we need help from others. Now, I don't know why that sometimes in the church, not this church, but sometimes in the church, we see this, this completely uh, like, and I, I hope I'm, I'm not explaining it incorrectly, but like a, a God-centric view that all I need is God and me by myself, and that's all I need. Now, it's true, we all need God. And I'm not saying that you need Jesus plus anything. But what I am saying is that God gave us tools in this life, one of those being others. And I'll prove it to you. Noah had his family. Imagine those blueprints. Hey, hey guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flood the earth. Go build a boat. If Noah was by himself, it would have taken him forever. But Moses had his family. I mean, Noah had his family. Moses had Aaron. Paul had Timothy and Barnabas. And even Jesus had his disciples. Now, Jesus is all-powerful. He is God. He could have came all by himself. But he knew that in order for his work to continue on when he left, he would need some friends. Christ-like friends are a necessity for staying on track. And this is what I mean. Yes, we have God. But if all you have is Jesus by yourself and your YouTube preachers and no community, you are bound to stumble and fall because we all need community. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, there's cornerstone again, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what is this in Ephesians 2? The best way to describe this is ecclesia or the church. This is what he's talking about. Now God here is not building an actual building, but he's building his church. And what is the church made up of? It's made out of you and me. This also further goes to prove that the church should not be limited to just the building. But church is praying for each other outside of this place. Church is eating dinner with one of your family or your, your friends or your family from church and checking in on one another. Church is grabbing a cup of coffee with one of your friends and checking in on them and keeping each other accountable. That is the church. We need help from each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We are called to build one another up. Now, if it was just us and God, then why would God tell us to meet together? Why would God command us to build one another up? 
Lastly, I want to point out that there's strength in numbers, and I'm going to roll through these verses pretty quick, but I just want to show you what the Bible says about the positive attitude of having strength in numbers. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Deuteronomy 32, verse 30 and 31 how could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold, them, had sold them and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock, our enemies are by themselves. Two can put ten thousand to flight. Matthew 18 verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There is strength in numbers. We need each other. If we are going to build together in this life, if we are all going to achieve uh, um, the, the success when it comes to our spiritual walk, we need each other. The third thing that we need in order to build something new is faith. We need faith. Now, faith seems really hard to come by these days. Faith is very closely linked to hope, and it seems like everything in this world is pointing towards, hey, there's no hope. But that is a lie. We have faith. We need to trust the process. We need, first, we need faith in God. Again, now this, this might be completely obvious, but I want to remind you this morning. We need faith in God. Is your faith in yourself? Is your faith only in yourself and what you can do? Or is it fully in the one that created you? Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to its completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The one who planted these dreams and planted these goals and planted the promise of a family and planted the promise of a business and planted the promises of God in your heart is not forgotten. We have it in his word that we can have faith that he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until his return. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. We can't lean on ourselves. We need faith. We need faith to make it. Secondly, we do need faith in ourselves. You do need faith in yourself. Again, this is not faith in yourself alone, But this simply means that you need to be faithful, full of faith. This means that we need to work hard, for we know that faith without works is dead. So if we have faith, if you have faith, that that means that you are faithful enough to trust that you can do it to work hard for what you have. 
and what God has called you to build. St. Augustine said this, Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. Work hard. God did not call us to an easy life. We are called to work. Just because we have faith doesn't mean that we can just float by and expect everything in our life to get built by itself. There's a partnership with God that takes place. That's why God chooses to use us to build his church. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Everything you do, it says here plainly in God's word, while you're working, whatever you are working to achieve or working to build, you need to have your mindset on, okay, this is not for me, this is for the Lord. And when you get a hold of this, it's powerful because you begin to build things differently. There is, there is this like, this, uh, this, this passion or this, this positive angst that's like driving you to keep going. Because it's not for myself, it's for Jesus. Winston Churchill said this, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. To keep on keeping on, to have faith that God is going to complete it and to have faith that you are going to work hard to complete it. James chapter one, verse two and three Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's the courage to continue that counts. Our faith will be tested, but we should count it joy because we're getting stronger, we're getting better. So we need faith in God and we need faith in ourselves. But lastly, we need to know and we need to have faith that you heard the word of the Lord. Now this kind of combines those first two previous points about having faith in God and faith in yourself. Because if you do not have faith in that you heard the word of the Lord, the enemy is going to seek to come and steal that word. One of the first things that the enemy did was not make us sin. And I believe it was Pastor Chris a, a few Thursdays ago that shared this. It was not to make us sin, it was to make us doubt. Genesis 3, chapter 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And that was what the enemy does today. God gives us this amazing revelation. God gives you these plans. Those dreams you had when you were a child were not your own. I promise you. But the enemy comes as we get older. And he says, did God really say did God really say at church camp when you were 12 that you would do amazing things in my name? Did God really say that you would one day have a family? 
Did God really say that one day you would get married? Did God really say, and we go on and on and on, and we begin to doubt the word of the Lord in our lives? Now, faith in God and faith in ourselves will often return void if we do not accept and have faith that we heard the word of the Lord. Yes, God really did say. Yes, he really did say. Now, there's another uh, 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 object that comes in our way. Another stumbling block that's not just the enemy. Sometimes it's ourselves. And we need to combat the imposter syndrome. To combat the imposter syndrome, there is a, a fantastic game if you have not been enlightened, if you need to know, turn to your nearest youth and ask them. But this game is called Among Us, and in this game, there is a, a, a ship and a crew, and their goal is to complete the mission, but there's one or two imposters among them. And their goal is to sabotage the ship. So what is imposter syndrome? Well, much like this game, imposter syndrome refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. You only have experience and achievement out of luck, and you do not belong in the position you're in or the status you have. Now, this is a self-internalized thought that says, I don't belong here. I, I'm not good enough to be here. And this happens a lot of time in church and, and admittedly a lot of times to us as pastors because we go through things too. I remember being a youth leader and going through, going through horrible things in college, going through bouts of depression and feeling like, how can I serve young people? How can I be in a place of leadership when my own house is not in order? God uses broken people and you are not an imposter. And the way that we combat this is the name of Jesus. I'll show you. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of Jesus is our refuge and our strength. Now, if I look at life and say, I have got here by my own strength, I am going to feel like an imposter every time. But if I look at my surroundings and look at the position I'm in and think, God put me here, God ordained me here, God assigned me for this mission, my mindset is going to be nothing can stop me. Not even myself. So we must combat this imposter syndrome that says that you're not good enough. That you shouldn't be that position you're in at your job. That you shouldn't be in the position that you're in in your, in your house or in your family. Maybe you're the one that, that all your siblings or your cousins, you're the, the gatekeeper of all the information. And you're like, why am I here? Because God trusted you to be a light. God put you on assignment for a reason and on purpose. 1 Peter 1, 23-25 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. 
The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So if you are finding yourself doubting, maybe the enemy is whispering in your ear, did God really say that you're going to do this? Or maybe it's yourself feeling like an imposter, feeling like you're not actually supposed to be there and you're not talented enough or you're not anointed enough. The word of the Lord remains forever. And if God spoke a word to you, then we need to have faith that we heard from the Lord. Talk about being an imposter or feeling like one. I spoke briefly about Noah and how long it would have taken him by himself to build the ark. Now, when you look at all of the ages of his children and when Noah passed away and the timelines of everything, scholars believe that it still took Noah and his family 55 to 75 years to build the ark. Now, Noah was already set apart being the only righteous person in the world. Him and his family feeling like they don't belong. But could you imagine for 55 years... All right, son, let's go get some two-by-fours. 55 years. No one had ever seen rain before. I'm not sure if there were, were, were sailboats back then. I'm not sure what there was back then, but I know for a fact that the ark, that a boat that big had never been constructed before. Now, what if God called you to do something crazy and something new, gave you all the blueprints, and then you're like, I don't know, like, did Jesus really say that I should get all this gopher wood? That's the wood Noah used to build this ark, by the way. Did, Jesus, did God really say that, that he's going to kill the earth? Did God really, like, could you imagine if Noah doubted himself or doubted the word of God in his life? we literally wouldn't be here today. The decisions that you make and the way that you choose to build determines not only your life, but future generations. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In conclusion, I want to share with you guys it's not really a story, but uh, an interesting fact I learned in history class about the Roman walls. It was around the time of uh, Constantine. Now, the Romans were, were, were geniuses. A lot of people, when they think of Rome, they think of, you know, the, the, the chariot. They think of the roads. But Rome actually, like, reinvented construction and buildings, they invented a new type of cement. By the late 3rd century BC, the Romans revolutionized construction with the invention of concrete. Concrete was developed by experimenting with a type of mortared rubble construction called opus cementicium. It was made by adding a volcanic dust or a volcanic ash called pozzolana, to mortar made of a mixture of brick and rock pieces, lime or gypsum, and water. 
A pozzolana, which contained both silica and alumina, created a chemical reaction which dramatically strengthened the cohesiveness of the mortar. Now that's just a bunch of scientific mumbo jumbo that says that the way that they built these, these, this concrete was designed, whether they knew it or not, to increase strength over time. Modern concrete is about 10 times stronger than Roman concrete, but the pozzolana or the volcanic ash made Roman concrete more durable against the elements. Now this, this, this type of concrete is used all throughout Rome to build seawalls. One, to keep, the, to keep the, the land that they would build on protected, but two, to keep enemies out. And they're still standing to this day. Recent research by U.S. and Italian scientists has shown that the Roman harbors in the Mediterranean remain intact after 2,000 years, while modern-day concrete begins to erode after about 50 years. So what was actually happening chemically inside of these rocks is every time the salt water would hit them, it would cause chemical reactions and there would begin to grow new chemicals or new rocks inside, much like how quartz is formed. They were building this kind of organic wall. Why am I sharing this? Because they chose to not go with the same way of doing things that has always been done, but rather decided to take crazy step. I don't know who the first guy was like, well, what if we took some of this volcanic dust and mixed it in? I don't know. That guy was a genius, though. And those walls that they built still stand today. Perhaps in our lives, we need to build something a little bit differently than we're used to. If the worship team wants to go ahead and make their way up, we're going to close this down. Much like Rome, perhaps us in this place, maybe not concrete, but maybe the way of building family needs to change from previous generations. Maybe the way of building a business, or maybe perhaps the, the, the bosses that have trained you in the past have not trained you in a, in a positive way. Perhaps it is, try, it is time to try something different, to build something different. Perhaps it is time to try to build relationships differently, to add some things in the mix. Perhaps it's Jesus to strengthen them so that no matter what happens, the waves, the elements, anything that come against you would just make you stronger. A, p- a point that I forgot to mention about these walls is that when they would, when they would experience cracks or, or earthquakes even, and new fissures would form in the rocks, new rocks would form to fill in those gaps. That, that is just, that's amazing. But I believe that here in this place, that God wants to build some things in you, to mix some things in you, so that hell or high water, you're gonna stand strong. Nothing can come against you. 
When Jesus looked at Peter and said, upon this rock I will build my church, he told him the gates of hell will not even prevail against it. Nothing can come against what the Lord builds. And I believe in 2021, all the way from the kids to the youth to the young adults, to us as adults, it is time for us to build something new, build something a little bit different. Maybe you're in this place and you need some new blueprints. You need a, a fresh download. You might not know what to do, but you know you need to do something. God wants to help you. Perhaps you're in here and you don't know Jesus as your savior. I wanna encourage you, it, he is the best blueprint for your life you can ever try. And all you need to do is pray and ask for forgiveness and accept him as your savior to be saved. Maybe you're here and you just need some help. Like Billy Graham said, maybe you just need to look at God and, and yell, help me. I feel like I'm drowning. 2020 was hard. I'm stressed out. My kids are stressed out. My boss is stressed out, which is making me stressed out, which makes me go home and makes my kids stressed out. Jesus wants to help you build something different. Maybe you're in this place and your faith needs to be strengthened. Maybe God wants to do some things in your life to strengthen you, to strengthen your family, to strengthen your household. I've asked Scott and the worship team to sing a song that simply says to build my life upon the firm foundation, which is Jesus. And in this time, I wanna encourage you, these altars are open. If you would like to come and pray or simply come and worship, however you feel you need to respond to the word of the Lord today, I wanna encourage you to do so. Let's worship the Lord together, amen. Who you are 
Every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. 
There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder, Lord, show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I pray you have never been in a service where you've heard someone speak with tongues and an interpretation of tongues simply what that is is that's the Holy Spirit he is here in this place and he has spoken to us we see that in scripture and if you agree with that word if that word aligns with scripture in your heart then that word is for you Jesus is here Thank you, Jesus. May we walk with you, Jesus. God, thank you for doing a new thing in our lives. God, thank you for showing us in your word what to do when we don't know what to do. God, I pray as we go from this place that your word would go with us, that your Holy Spirit would go with us as we learn in this new season, what new things you have called us to build in our lives and in our homes. Lord, I pray for everyone who has been affected by COVID-19, Lord, that you would touch them in the name of Jesus. Anybody that we know from this place and in, the, and in this country and in this world, God, I pray that your healing power would, would come and make them whole again. Lord, keep us safe. Keep our families safe. Lord, be with Pastor David and his situation. God, I pray you just give him peace and joy. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that we would find new ways to speak to you and ask you for help. That you would strengthen our faith and Lord, that you would always be the center of our lives, the center of our hearts and the, our foundation of, of all of our blueprints. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for letting me speak. Appreciate you all. God bless.